Amen. It is good to have our spirits lifted like that. We need that. It's, it's the Easter season. We made it through a long Lent. It's good to have our spirits lifted. Uh, and I'm reminded of that again. It seems like every time we turn on the news, you're hearing another troubling story. And so it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning to have our spirits lifted up with good news and joy and thanksgiving and song. I do want to make sure that I begin by addressing and naming the horrible attacks that took place in San Diego yesterday at a synagogue once again. This is six months after the shooting at the Tree of Life synagogue in Pittsburgh. Um, And as you may or may not know, it took place yesterday, which is the Jewish Sabbath, the most holy day of the week. And it took place on the last day of Passover, the most holy holiday in the Jewish tradition. And so it's clear that this was a coordinated attack in order to instill fear and terror in the Jewish community. And it's just one of many stories we can think of about how our world is crippled by hate and violence and fear, and specifically hate and violence directed at people because of their race or their beliefs or the color of their skin, it's just not okay. It's troubling and it needs to stop and it needs to change. And it's why I think, again, we need to get together every single week to be reminded of the good news and the promises of God that are always stronger than the fear and hatred and terror that we see. I want to be talking about a lot of these issues here this morning because it is timely and it is important. And we just need to hear it once again. I need to hear it once again. We're going to be looking specifically at John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. And I've titled this sermon, The Body of Christ. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Send your living word to walk amongst us now, to challenge our assumptions, to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. Okay, let's get right into it. Grab those pew Bibles. Um, Or if you brought your own Bible, that's great. If you've got your phone, you can look it up on your cell phone. We are looking at John chapter 20. It's page 100 in the New Testament of the Pew Bible. And I invite you to stand. This is what we do here. We stand out of reverence for the gospel being read. As I've said before, when the gospel is read, Jesus walks among us. And so we stand to acknowledge the holiness of these words as they speak to our hearts and our lives again. This is John chapter 20. Starting at verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the resurrection day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. 
But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Thank you, God. You may be seated. Keep those Bibles open. We're going to need to do a couple little references later. I don't want you to lose your place. Uh, but now, let's begin by just being honest with ourselves. You look down on Thomas, don't you? You kind of pity him a little bit. You think to yourself, oh, look at this guy. Here he goes again. Come on, Thomas. And certainly Thomas is one of the only people who has this moniker, right? What do we call him? Say it with me. Doubting Thomas, right? All because of this story. Poor guy. You know, there's other good stories about Thomas that are in your Bibles. There are. He shows up in other places. He's not always just doubting. And I really, frankly, I don't think it's very fair to the guy. It's not like we call Judas betrayer Judas, although that would be appropriate. We don't call Peter denier Peter. But somehow we end up and we get to Thomas and we say, doubting Thomas. And we look down on him and we lift ourselves up a little bit because we're better than Thomas, right? We, we believe without seeing most of the time. We don't have any doubts about the risen Lord most of the time. You see, I propose to you today that Thomas gets a bad rap. And as a matter of fact, I propose to you today that we are all Thomas in one way or another. And in fact, when you look carefully at this scripture passage, I think that's the point that John, the gospel writer, is trying to make. Hopefully you still have those Bibles open. Hopefully you still have them open. Look with me at verse 31 here. This is at the end of this whole passage. When the gospel writer, John, he, he breaks the fourth wall. You, you heard of that in, in, in like writing, where he talks to the reader directly. You're not supposed to do that. But he talks to the reader directly, and in verse 31 he says, But these have been written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing in him you may have life. You see, John knows that the readers are going to have trouble believing without seeing. The readers are going to be just like Thomas, doubting some of the stories that they've heard because they weren't there to experience it for themselves. But I got one more point for you. Look carefully at verse 24. But Thomas, who was called the twin. Now, that's an important little point. Thomas the twin, that's his actual name, apparently. We call him Doubting Thomas, but we're told that we're supposed to call him Thomas the twin. And what's funny about that is there's no record of who his twin was. 
There's no Bible story, although I wish there was, about Thomas and his twin switching places to confuse Jesus, right? Which one is it? Is it Thomas or the twin? No story like that exists. And the reason some scholars believe is that because we are Thomas's twin. It has been written this way specifically so that we will see ourselves in the person of Thomas. We will admit that we've got doubts. That sometimes we wonder if we can really believe without seeing. Just like Thomas. I don't know about you, but I certainly have my doubts at times. Some moments it's stronger than others. Some moments it just pops up when you least expect it. But certainly when we see horrific events taking place in our country, there might be that twinge of doubt wondering, God, are you really out there? Why aren't you doing anything about this horrific event? How could you let that happen? And and doubts can spring up in other ways. Just you're, you're sitting in line at the grocery store and you read some headline and it makes you wonder, yeah, is this faith stuff all for real? Am I really supposed to be going along with all of this? Doubt creeps up on us again and again in various and different ways. And it's not just with our life of faith either. I'm sure that many of us have doubts about the direction that our country is going. We have doubts that things will actually get better because we have such a strong history of things falling apart again and again. And then you read the latest news headline, you hear the next thing that happens, and you wonder, how are we going to get ourselves out of this mess? And maybe there's other doubts, too, that you have personally, that you'll actually be able to to turn your life around, that you'll be able to restore the broken relationship that you care about so deeply. You have doubts that things really will work out in your best interest in the end. I'm naming all of this for us this morning So that we can be honest with ourselves. So that we can be honest and admit that, yes, doubt is a reality that we deal with day after day after day. And I want you to hear me say, that's okay. I'm so glad you're still here this morning, despite the doubts that I know you carry. Because the life of faith does include doubt at times. And if you don't believe me, if Thomas isn't enough evidence for you, I've got a couple of other places within the scriptures where we see this popping up. There's a whole bunch of stories about the people of God struggling with what God has told them, struggling to believe and follow what God has asked them to do. There's this guy Gideon in the Old Testament. He's one that you maybe haven't heard much about, but an angel came to Gideon and said, you need to lead the Israelites out of Midian. And Gideon says, I just don't know if I can do that. And so Gideon comes up with this little science experiment. And he takes this piece of fleece and he sets it outside and he says to God, God, if it's really you talking to me, I need you to make sure that tomorrow morning the fleece has dew on it, but the ground has no dew on it. And so he goes to bed and he wakes up and sure enough, the fleece has dew on it, but the ground doesn't. And Gideon says, I doubt that this is really God. I'm not sure exactly. i got to try this again. So he goes to bed bed again that night and says, okay, God, same thing, just Just reverse it this time. This time, have the fleece have no dew and the ground have dew. And sure enough, Gideon wakes up the next morning and it's just as he had asked. But notice, Gideon had his doubts at first, didn't he? Oh, oh, and he's not the only one. I want to tell you about a guy. His name is Zechariah. 
We talked about him before. Now, Zechariah was the husband of Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist. But Elizabeth was really, really, really old. And an angel came to Zechariah and said, you are going to have a son. And Zechariah said, I doubt it. And God wasn't too pleased with that. And so Zechariah couldn't say anything else for a number of months. As the story goes, he didn't talk again until John had been born and they were looking for a name for the guy. And then there was Sarah. Sarah was also really old. And Abraham and Sarah had wanted a son for years and years. Sarah was about 90, 100 years old when finally she became pregnant. And she couldn't believe it so much that she just laughed. That's why they named her son Isaac. It means laughter. I'm pointing all this out to let us know we're in good company. Everybody doubts at one time or another. And that doesn't mean that you are without faith. That just means that you're on the journey with the rest of us. Faith and doubt go hand in hand. And I think that doubt is, in fact, a necessary component of the journey of faith. As the kids say, it gives you street cred, right? If you've got doubts, then that just means that you're struggling with it. That means that you care enough to question and wonder and yet keep going. And that's the important piece, church. As I said, I'm so grateful you're here despite your doubts this morning because the fact that you showed up means that you're still on this journey of faith. Despite all the reasons you could think of to give up or turn it in, throw in the towel, you're still here. And that's what God asks of us. Blessed are those who believe without seeing, Jesus says. It's a reminder that we have doubts, but we've got to keep going. Just because something doesn't make perfect sense, just because you haven't been the perfect Christian all your life, just because you saw some sort of report on the TV that says maybe it didn't happen exactly like they say it did in the Bible, even if it makes you wonder, we keep going. And the reason being, church, is because the world needs us. At a time like this, we need church and we need faithful Christians more than ever. Notice, notice that Thomas, Thomas kept going. When he missed out on that first miraculous appearance of Jesus, he didn't give up. He was there again the next week. And I found this really interesting. Some scholars believe that the reason Thomas wasn't there the first night, when Jesus showed up the first time, the reason Thomas wasn't there is because he was out looking for Jesus. He had heard that the tomb was empty, and so he wasn't locked up in a room. He was around town trying to find the guy. And I'm sure he kept looking that entire week in between. And that's our call, too. To keep going, to keep looking for the signs of Jesus in the world, even when it seems hopeless, even when the days see dark, because they are there. They are there. The body of Christ is out there making himself known to us in big and small ways. Now, I go on a regular basis to visit many of our members who can't make it to church anymore. We've got a good number of shut-ins in this congregation, and the assisting ministers also help me by going to visit these individuals. For, for whatever reason, they can't make it here on a Sunday morning anymore. And I am reminded, I remind these people 
every time I go and visit them, I say to them, listen, I know you can't be with us on Sunday morning, but I want you to know that you are still a part of this church, that you are still a part of us and that we pray for you every week. Your name's printed in our bulletin. People take that home and they're praying for you throughout the week and I'm praying for you. And I want you to know that even though you can't be there, even though you might not feel the connection like you do, that there is a whole congregation praying for you and a whole congregation that loves you. Now think about it. This is such a little thing that I'm reminding these people of. That they're a part of a church that prays for them and loves them. That seems pretty standard these days. And yet I know that by me just reminding these individuals of that reality, that it makes all the difference for them. There's one man who I visit, and every time I tell him this, and I visited him quite a number of times, he's got to know it's coming, and yet every time he starts to cry, because I think that he doesn't hear that he's loved at any other point in his life. I'm sharing this church, it's a reminder that we still need to be church And that these little tiny things that we do make all the difference. We can do big grandiose things. We can dream and imagine about the huge impact that we will have. And that is well and good. But the day to day of loving and praying for one another makes all the difference. Now I told you in the beginning of this sermon that we're Thomas, right? Thomas the twin and we are the twin. But I want to close by reminding us that we are the body of Christ as well. The church is the body of Christ. Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose. And then he passed off his work to the disciples and the church to continue being the body of Christ in the world. And what I want to point out for us in this reading that we saw this morning, the disciples recognized Jesus by his wounds. In the beginning, they see the, hand, the holes in his side and the holes in his hands, and that's how they know that this is Jesus Christ. Same with Thomas. Once he sees and places his hands there, he knows that it is the risen Lord. And it's a reminder to us that, yeah, we have our doubts. Yeah, we're not perfect. We are wounded people who make mistakes and who don't treat each other nicely all the time, and who can be pretty pessimistic once in a while, and yet, we are the body of Christ. The wounded body of Christ, and yet, that's how the world will know us. They'll know that we are for real, that the work we're doing matters, because it's real to us. Because we are imperfect people who make mistakes and don't get it all right, and yet we keep going. We press on in faith, and that is our testimony to the world around us. Yeah, we don't have it all right. We don't believe it all, all the time, but we keep going. We keep showing up. We keep showing love to the world around us. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. That is what we are called to do. So let's go forth and continue on. Despite the doubts, despite the mistakes, despite whatever excuse you think you have, we're the body of Christ reformation, the wounded body of Christ, but the body of Christ called to show the love of Jesus to the world around us. Amen. Amen.